Excuse me, Veronica. <clears throat> yes, what is it, Brick? I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party, the pants with the pants. Party with pants. Hello and welcome to the Pants Party. My name is Max Brecky. I'm a managing editor at Blackheart Gold Pants. Along with me today is Harrison Starr, aka Boilerhawk, and JP and IC. Guys, how's it going? Hey. <laughs> Living the dream. How's it going with you, Max? Uh, I mean, once again, I am Jerry Sherwin. Um, as we do this podcast, Jerry was not able to join us this week. It is actually his birthday week. Um, so in the comments, you should all wish him a happy birthday because I'm sure he'll absolutely love that. His birthday was Monday. So we're recording on Tuesday. His birthday was Monday. And that's actually why he isn't joining us today. Um, at least that's what he told me yesterday. But so, you know, let's get into, let's get into things a little bit. Um, we'll talk about football. We'll get to basketball later. Um, but we'll start with the bowl game because, which in you know not great news for Iowa football right now, the Hawkeyes or the athletic department's only sold uh, less than a thousand of their ticket allotment. I think that we discussed this about a week ago, and we said they get about five thousand or so. Guys, I mean, we it's not necessarily a complete surprise, but the fact that they've sold less than a thousand tickets to this bowl game, you kind of have to be a little bit surprised about it, right? Yeah, for me, it's it's. I'm not sure if it's disconcerting, but I guess it all kind of makes sense. Um, the the s- story that came out, I think, from Land of Ten, it really kind of dove into um, kind of the the expectations, and um, it's even underperforming those. Uh, my my assumption and kind of what what I came away from reading that article is is you see all these East coast Iowa fans, like they don't have to necessarily buy the, the ticket package through the university of Iowa. Um, the, the fans from Iowa, they don't want to, you know, take up four days to go to a place that's going to be maybe not as cold as Iowa can be, but it's certainly not sunny Florida weather. Like, um, you know, even last year or uh, two years before that. And it's definitely not the Rose Bowl, which I was only been to once in like 30 years. So um, overall, I, I think it, it kind of makes sense. Uh, again, this isn't a team that's particularly exciting or um, <laughs> I guess just exciting or good, um, despite, uh, you know, coming out seven and five, having the good stories with, Josie Jewell and Josh Jackson, which I think is is really pretty awesome. And it's like, ugh, we can only win seven games despite having two guys who are consensus All-Americans. It, it's it's certainly interesting, but uh, not all that surprising once you kind of break it down. Yeah, I think it, it really is just kind of the perfect storm for, you know, kind of really lackluster sales being um, the game's on the 27th. So if you want to get out there, you're leaving like the day after Christmas. Um, and then because you're yeah. so close to New Year's, New York City's not exactly a cheap place to go visit anyways. And I can't imagine hotels are cheap um, in, in New York, you know, leading up to New Year's Eve. 
um, as much fun as you might have going to, to visit New York for that, it, it's a really expensive trip to, as Harrison said, go somewhere that's cold uh, to watch a team that, you know, is, they've had some moments where they're exciting, but they've also had moments where they're really mediocre and really boring to watch going up against a, another seven and five opponent in Boston college that, that Iowa fans don't know a whole lot about, but isn't exactly setting the world on fire either. And it's just kind of a, a perfect storm of, you know, folks don't want to make that trip for that kind of money to watch this kind of team in that kind of game. Um, and, and, you know, to your point about the all Americans, I think um, I can't remember who had it on Twitter. There, there was one of the, uh, the Iowa writers, uh, had the, the numbers on this, but there's been, I think, four different groups of uh, pairs of All-Americans at Iowa over the years, and it's it's like 90, 1981, 1985, 2002, oh, yeah. and 2003, and then this year. And uh, I, think, I think Ben had that. Yeah, I think Ben Ben kind of included that. Yeah, in I think that was more today, But I mean, that. which of those things is not like the others, right? I think uh, every other one has ended in either a Big Ten championship or a Rose Bowl. So um, here we are with a 7-5 and five team going to the pinstripe bowl to face Boston College on December 27th with a pair of All-Americans and perhaps the most dynamic uh, athlete we've seen in, in a lifetime um, at running back. So it's kind of demoralizing when you, when you break it down. Yeah, I think that that's really the only thing that I'm kind of upset about with it is that, you know, there are some great seniors that, you know, played for Iowa that are going to be on this team, and it'll be their last game wearing the black and gold, at least for Iowa. Maybe they'll go on to play for the Steelers and play wear the exact same uniforms. That's a different sto- time. For, that's a different story, different time. I think they get to just keep uh, their uniforms, right? They don't even but, have to get the new they, – they slap an NFL logo on there and they're good to go. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, you just change the logos and it's all good. But uh, I think that's the only thing I'm upset about with it is just that you know these guys are going to be going out and they're going to be going out in front of a what I mean I don't know what Boston College ticket sales are looking like and I'm assuming that they're going to have a lot of people make that trip because it's so close to New York. But uh, you know they're probably going to be playing and mostly in front of opposing fans, maybe in a completely empty stadium. And that's just a shitty way for them to go out. It just kind of sucks because, you know, there's Jewel, there's ja- Jackson. They're consensus All-Americans. They might even end up being unanimous All-Americans. Well, you, Everybody will know by the time that this is, uh, that this is posted and released. Or released it. Wow, what a word I just created. That was disgusting. Um, and released. So, uh, yeah, so we'll know by then. Uh when you guys are hearing this, that'll already be decided. But yeah, it just kind of sucks. That's just that's my the only reason I'm even really upset about it. But I mean, I guess that's just what happens when you are a seven and five team, and we they'd be playing in a better bowl somewhere nice if they played better more this season. Exactly. Like you, you win Northwestern. You win at Northwestern, you jump them in the standings, possibly. Like, at least you can kind of break down that logic. And I think that's pretty much a guarantee, yeah. Yeah, and I, I don't know if they would actually jump them in the standings, but at least the the Music City Bowl would be able to be like, okay, um, Iowa beat Northwestern. They lost a couple other games because they played a tough cross-divisional schedule, so we can justify bringing them to Nashville. And, I, and like, th- that day would have worked so much better and, and like I, I 
I kind of thought about maybe going to Nashville since it's like a 10-hour drive away and you can go in and it's kind of a fun town to, you know, just party in uh, in terms of just having a bunch of hawks there. Um, but when you're going to New York, it's not necessarily spread out, but it's not like there's a central location like uh, uh, Nash Vegas has. Um, sure. I, I can't remember. On Broadway, I think it's called, or like even Beale Street in Memphis, which has all the Iowa State fans jacked. Um, so it's just kind of a, a thud to the, the end of the season, and I, I think we'll, we'll see what it's like going forward. Hopefully they can build on it. Um, I, I thought I, it was really interesting because uh, I can't remember who retweeted it, if it was just our account or uh, JP, if it was you. Um, but there was that draft guy who was looking at Wadley tape. And, like, he's going to end up being kind of the guy that ends up sneaking into, uh, like, the late part of the draft just because uh, he he never really did a lot, at least from the Penn State game. You thought, oh, this is how they're going to use Wadley all the time. And they never really did. Um, so he's going to be able to go into the NFL and immediately kind of have that impact, I think, in terms of being a, a true change of pace back uh, instead of having to be a bell cow. But I guess that's that's a different day and um, to talk about. But I think he's got a lot of motivation, you know, finishing up his career in, in New York uh, just outside of where he's from. So I think that's also kind of a cool storyline. Yeah, definitely a cool storyline. And I think you, you kind of touched on this. You know, if there's any silver lining to going to this kind of mediocre bowl game against a mediocre team, it's we have a chance to get that monkey off of our back and, and hopefully get a bowl win for the first time in, in you know, forever here. So, um, you know, if there's one positive there, you know, maybe we can sell some tickets on the fact that, Hey, we can actually win one of these bowl games because for the first time in, you know, a decade, we're not playing up a bowl tier. Um, the big 10 is kind of in a position finally here this year where everybody got knocked down a peg thanks to, you know, Iowa knocking off Iowa state by such a wide margin. Um, you know, everybody's down a tier as opposed to playing up a tier as they have in recent years. And so we've got a pretty favorable matchup. I know there's some interesting storylines there um, with their defensive coordinator being a former Iowa assistant um, and, you know, playing a, 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 North, a New England team in the Northeast. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's set up to be a tough game, but this is a very winnable game. And, and I would say, you know, a, a much more even matchup than we've seen kind of in recent years. So, you know, hopefully they can, as you said, build on this, not only for guys like Wadley and Jewel who are looking to enter the NFL draft here, um, but also the young guys. There's, there's so many young guys on this team coming back for next year that, um, you know, hopefully they can use this to build not just the, the bowl practices as we've seen in recent years, but also build some momentum, get that monkey off our back with a bowl win. A bull win would be great, and it would probably, you know, really enthuse fans, you know, everywhere just because it hasn't happened in so long. And I think that that's probably one of the reasons why everybody's kind of so down besides, the, you know, the, you know, just general lack of offense and general unwillingness to change. I think that's one of the reasons people are down on fairness is just that, you know, Iowa hasn't beaten teams that, from other power conferences, and I think that that's kind of discouraging. But you know, hopefully they can get that win against Boston College. We're going to be talking a hell of a lot about that game over the next couple of weeks. That game is two weeks away from today. It'll probably be 
12 days by the t- away from by the time that this is released and you guys are listening to it and we're gonna have a lot of coverage on it coming up but uh that's enough about talking about the past and about this upcoming game let's talk about a little bit of recruiting this is the last podcast we're gonna record before national signing day the er- first ever early signing day for college football it takes place december 20th through the 22nd uh, and Iowa looks to have a big class coming in, but there are some people that, you know, we don't really know a lot about. They might come to Iowa. They might not. There may, might, maybe there's even some commitments that uh, aren't so solid coming into the uh, National Sign Day. J- uh, JP, what do you got on that? Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting time. You know, this is this kind of has the feel of what we normally get towards the end of January. Um, where there's just kind of this flurry of activity and information coming out um, with, you know, last minute visitors and those sorts of things. And everything is sped up this year by that, that first early signing day. Um, so this is, this has really been a whirlwind. So, you know, we, we did a, a quick little post on this. I say little, it was like, I don't know, 3000 words or something ridiculous last week um, <laughs> where, you know, I was had, I think they had all 14 of their current commitments um, and, and that is down to 14 with the loss of, of that tight end, Anthony Torres, um, from Indiana, who uh, is now committed to Western Michigan. Um, so down to 14 commitments. All of the 14 commitments for the class of 2018 were on their official visits last weekend. So they got in on Friday, left on Sunday, and they were joined by a handful of uh, what, what I would call kind of the top targets, um, the guys that are, are vying for those last few spots. Um, before December 20th. Um, and then there was an additional visitor uh, towards the end of that period that I don't think really overlapped with the other visitors. But, you know, essentially sitting at 14 commitments today, um, 15, I guess, if you want to include Davian Nixon in this year's class. He was a commitment last year that we, we were a lot about, really big defensive tackle from Wisconsin that has a ton of upside, played it at Iowa Western Community College this year after uh, kind of a a weird story where he didn't qualify academically, but then, um, you know, Iowa helped him through his appeal process. He won the appeal, but it was kind of too late. He was already enrolled at Iowa Western. So he played a semester there and he's transferring in here in January. Uh, we did some follow-up on that with uh, Alabama getting in the mix, um, potentially uh, a tampering question mark. So, um, you know, that's a, that's a big name to add as a, a nice addition that um, is coming in with these guys, but not necessarily part of the class. And then they'll look to round it out with um, kind of their top need is, is a, a linebacker. So they've got two high school linebackers already in the group, but there's a, a, a Juco linebacker out of Kansas named Will Honus, who's kind of down to Iowa and uh, Kansas State, it's believed. He's from Kansas, the Kansas State. I think he's got a brother that's actually enrolled at Kansas State, but not necessarily playing football over there. So they'll be tough to beat there, and he's actually looking to take a visit um, to Nebraska this weekend. So... Yeah, that's a name that's really at the top of the list as far as needs go. You lose Josie Jewell and Bo Bauer and Ben Neiman, and you've got to replace those guys. And, and obviously there's some talent on the roster already, but having a Juco to kind of plug in there uh, would, would certainly kind of ease that transition. So that's really at the top of the list of their needs. He was in uh, last week on the official visit weekend. And then um, – you know, there's a, there was a pair of receivers. Both came in, one from Florida that we wrote a little bit about. I talked to uh, Calvin Lockett. Actually goes to uh, Largo High School in Largo, Florida. Plays for former Hawkeye Marcus Pascal. So 
he's kind of a, a bigger guy, uh, 6'2". Oh, yeah, that's right. But he's got some speed on the outside. would be a nice addition. Um, and then Drake Stoops, obviously a, a name that uh, is a little bit familiar. We may have to get SMA to change his <laughs> username. I don't know um, if, if we get a Stoops, Stoops. on the roster here. So um, totally different skill sets, those two. Would be nice to kind of pair together. Uh, the Stoops kid is a little bit smaller, more of a um, I might say like a, a Nick Easley. If if Nick Easley was on some adrenaline pills or something, he's just kind of all over the place. Um, so you know, like I said, different skill sets. I think the staff would probably take both of them. Um, it's possible they would only take one, but both of those kids were in in this weekend for visits, as well as uh, safety out of St. Louis, um, Dallas Cradieth. So he's a name that's kind of been on the radar for a while, was a three-star, and then got bumped to a four-star here a couple weeks ago, um, Rivals. And you know, he has got some good size at safety. It'd be really nice to pair with uh, the guys they've already got in the class with Terry Roberts out of Pennsylvania, and then the uh, the duo from Indianapolis, DJ Johnson and Julius Brents. Um, there's already one four-star in that that trio. Be able to add one more in that Cradieth kid. Uh, would really be a nice way to kind of round out the secondary of this class. He's got a guy that is apparently waiting until February. Um, he's made some, you know, to, to get all caring is creepy on you. Uh, he's made some comments on Twitter here the last day or two that make it sound like maybe he's thinking about speeding up that decision. May join by the 20th. Um, but he's another guy that I think um, Nebraska's in on with Scott Frost. And um, that may be a theme here. You know, we've had. Uh, Brian Ferentz getting uh, a little bit under the skin with the folks in Ames as well as up in Minneapolis. I think um, the staff in Lincoln may be another group that uh, they have a number of head-to-head battles with here going down the stretch. Um, And then the last name that I'll throw out there is a kid that looks like he would be a a fantastic addition. Uh, Spencer Spencer Petros from uh, California. So he was the one that did not make it in for the full visit with everybody else kind of Friday through Sunday, he was playing in his uh, state championship game Saturday night. Uh, so had to come in Sunday, uh, flying all the way in from California. Uh, didn't get there till kind of the, the afternoon, I believe. And so it was a little bit of a shorter trip, um, but he's a, another four-star quarterback uh, from California, which obviously we don't get a lot of kids from out there. Bringing them in in December is uh, maybe not ideal, especially if you don't have the rest of the recruits no. around to kind of mingle with. But would be a really great addition here late. He was an Oregon State commit, and uh, you know they've obviously had some turnover. Not exactly a strong program right now. Um, that's right. Mike Riley is back to resurrect them to uh, the promised land of seven and five seasons. So, uh, but that that kid. So he <laughs> the, the Petrus kid goes to the same high school that Jared Goff went to, and. Uh, Guys, you got to watch the video at some point. His his tape is pretty unreal, and the numbers are just gaudy. So I think uh, I'm I'm sure I'm going to butcher these, but he finished with like 4,100 yards, 50 five zero touchdowns, and two interceptions in his senior year here. Um, just kind of obliterating a number of different uh, season records. I don't think he caught off on the career records, but the season records um, for the high school sounds in the state. Weak. So. Uh, not impressed. Yeah. He, he, he is not a, a dual threat guy, but he looks a lot like Stanley. If Stanley were to complete some beat balls, 
which I know a lot of hockey fans can get pretty excited about. <laughs> Don't do this. Don't. Oh, that's ugly. That was so uh, you can go back to the post from last week, but the, the first, I don't know, it's the first or the second highlight on the tape. He, he kind of, they, they do everything out of the gun. He takes a snap, you know, he looks right. Um, there's nothing there. He kind of steps up in the pocket to avoid pressure, looks left, and there's nothing there. So he just kind of scans back across his body and then all of a sudden just flips his wrist and drops a dime like 50 yards downfield to a guy who takes it for a touchdown. Um, so it's pretty impressive to see a high school kid be able to kind of go through his progressions, make his read, avoid pressure, and step up in the pocket, and then like with little effort, you know, just fling it downfield. Um, and as we've seen, you know, the ability to kind of connect on those deep balls can kind of make or break a drive and even a game. And so, um, really, it could be a, a fantastic addition here, really late in the, in the class. Um, he's an, an early enrollee too, so he's somebody that's going to decide and sign on the twentieth. Um, sounds like either Iowa or Oregon State potentially uh, stick in there. So that's one to kind of watch here these last eight days, seven days, um, as we approach National Signing Day, uh, the early National Signing Day. That's interesting. You mentioned that he's a potential early enrollee, which isn't something I was really dabbled in. Uh, would it be um, – would that have potentially an effect on kind of the uh, makeup of Iowa's quarterbacks currently on roster or is it seems like they always try and get one a year. Um, but you never know, I guess. Uh, do, do you see any transfers potentially? Yeah, I think they, they definitely want to take one a year just to kind of balance things out because you are going to have some transfers and, and you don't know, you know if you have injuries, that sort of thing. Um but it, you know, there's some rumblings out there that maybe Tyler Wiegers is looking to uh, uh, be a graduate transfer um, here come spring. So uh, if that were to happen, obviously the need for a quarterback in this class kind of goes through the roof. Um, just you know, they've, they've got uh, so obviously Stanley will be a junior next year, but then you've got um, Ryan Boyle on the roster. He spent some time at other positions. Um, you've got the cook kid who's been kind of back and forth, uh, between a couple positions. And then you've got, uh, the Schmidt kid from Marion who, uh, traveled up to, uh, Nebraska it was kind of a, a head scratcher that made some people wonder if maybe there was something going on with Uyghurs. Uh, so no, you know, no, nothing firm on that front, but, uh, you know, there is the potential for that. Uh, you know, people kind of forget Uyghurs was a four-star kid that everybody was pretty excited about coming out of high school as well. So uh, it's really easy to get excited watching the tape. I know we've talked a lot yeah. about this. You know, you're watching a highlight tape and it's, you know, 12, 13 games, something like that condensed down to like 10 minutes. Everybody's going to look pretty good if you take their best plays and run them over 10 minutes. So um, you got to trust the staff and their evaluations and all that fun stuff. But um, you never know how kids are going to pan out. So um, it would be nice if, if that scenario does play out and we do lose a, a kid like, like Uyghurs, and you do replace a four-star with a four-star, not that stars mean anything, I guess, but, um, yeah, that, that, that would certainly make the, the folks that, that follow recruiting happy. What was I going to say? Do uh, you think that – well, uh, I don't even remember what I was going to say anymore, Harrison. It sounded like you were getting ready to say something. Uh, I, I just think it's super interesting because – um, I guess just the, the high school game is going to all this shotgun, at least for 
they, they, I guess they go kind of two different directions. They either go super run heavy, like I remember Eno Benjamin, RIP. Uh, oh, <laughs> he's not actually I'm, dead. I'm not uh, sure you're allowed to Eno mention Benjamin, that name. Like, I think. <laughs> whoa, whoa, we'll cut that out. <laughs> but, but I remember he was basically their quarterback and out of the shotgun, and he just ran it like 30 times. And then you also have all this wing T stuff and all over the place, or you have these offenses like this one that this Petrus is at where it's all shotgun. He doesn't have to do really much of what is asked of him or what would be asked of him at the, in the Iowa offense. So I think getting super excited about him while it's warranted, you know, to, to the extent that, you know, Oh, look at these stats. He might come to Iowa. Woo. But like, there's also there's just such a steep learning curve with this Iowa offense that I, I don't think it's fully understood, um, especially like the when you're learning curve. <laughs> well, like I, I all you gotta say, do is Harrison, drop back and hand the ball. Our, our off. commenters would have you believe <laughs> that this is the most simplistic, easy to prepare for offense in the entire world. I can't imagine there is any sort of learning curve. Well, I think I that's that's part of what makes it so frustrating, right? Is because we see. <laughs> audibles 70% of the time are a single play to a single side. And, and so it's like, yeah. So like, what's, what's hard about being a quarterback there? But like, the right. you, there's so much, like, I remember, I think it was even golf. They were talking about when he was preparing to be the number one draft pick, there was concerns. Like he's never taken a single snap under center, or maybe it was Mariota. Yeah. I mean, there are just so many quarterbacks. Well, that was, that was both, I think, but yeah. Like, there are so many quarterbacks that, like, do things that, or never do things that are asked of them in the Iowa offense. Like, granted, all the audibles that Iowa runs, like I said, are a single play. But, like, they're actually the making a read there, though. And so that that's a major yeah. difference between Iowa and a number of other offenses you see around the country. You know, that's, that's the quarterback making a read, counting defenders. Uh, and making a call at the line, whereas the vast majority of these other offenses you watch on Saturday, they're a lot of fun to watch. They're exciting, but but it's a quarterback looking over to a sideline, not even getting a play called. It's looking at a picture and reading a hand signal from a backup quarterback. They step to the line, and the offensive coordinator is then reading the defense, and he's choosing which play they're going to run out of that based on the, how the defense is aligned. And so you're asking your quarterback at Iowa to do a lot more in terms of actually reading a defense and making a decision than the vast majority of other quarterbacks are going to be asked to do in their offenses around the country. Even if those offenses might be a lot more exciting and sexy than what you're seeing in Iowa, that's not the quarterback making those calls. Yeah. And I mean, that's a different rant for a different day, but I hate that. Like I, I hate that you have, you know, it, that's not the charm of college football to me to see, you know, 11 guys look over and be like, OK, we're not going to run that play because coach thinks it should be something else. That's not I don't we're, know. we're running crying Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was I going to say? Yeah. And I think that was actually the biggest knock on golf is that he never like had to do anything when he was a quarterback. It was literally just, all right, here's the play. Now throw the ball to your number one read or whatever. And when he eventually got to the NFL, and this is, we're getting way ahead of ourselves now. The biggest knock on him was that he like barely knew how to read a defense. Didn't really understand a playbook because of the fact that he didn't really have one. Yeah. And that's something that's complete. I guess that in a way, yeah, that's completely different. I was just very predictable 
Whereas the, I think the schemes are actually somewhat complicated. Mm-hmm. And all these other schools, they do all sorts of different things, but their schemes are ridiculously sl- simplified to the point where, you know, it should be easier to figure out. They just It just isn't, I guess. But, wow, we got very off topic talking about golf, the NFL, and whatever. Um, I was, I was going to ask a question about, you know, those guys that haven't committed yet. Which ones do you think can – Actually, might actually end up at Iowa, might actually end up signing uh, early. Yeah, so I, I, I mentioned the two receivers. Um, so I, I, I sure. talked to the Lockett kid, and he basically said, you know, he was planning to sign in February. Uh, that was all before the visit. And so, you know, I haven't caught up with him since the visit. I know a lot of other uh, the recruiting services that actually, you know, kind of do this for a living have talked to him. And it sounds like, you know, maybe he's close to a commitment. I know he was planning to visit. Um, he was hoping to get to, to FIU this week. Um, and South Florida was also kind of in the picture. And then I guess he made some comments. Um, I think it was to rivals about, you know, not being sure if he was going to take any other visits or not. And so that would lead you to believe um, that he's probably pretty close to making a commitment. I know wide receivers coach Kelton Copeland was down there yesterday to see him. Um, and then he hopped on a plane and, and made it to Oklahoma to visit Drake Stoops today. So those are two guys, both who have said that, you know, they're planning to wait until February for the, the second signing period that I could see maybe throwing their names in the hat here before we get to the end of December. Um, and then, you know, obviously Will Holmes being a Juco is, is one, um, I think is probably 50, 50 kind of between us and Kansas state. I would probably give Kansas state a slight edge there without any sort of, you know, inside knowledge, but that's one that yeah. you know, he will decide before the 20th. Um, the Petros kid is another one that being an early enrollee, he, he's going to decide early. Um, I would guess with him, you know, we probably know something like in the next, I mean, shoot, the, the, the signing day is seven days away. We're, we're going to know, I think, before signing day where he's going to go, if he's sticking with Oregon State or not. Um, and then the the safety out of, out of St. Louis, uh, Dallas Cradia, has also said he's planning to wait. So um, I would expect, like I said, he's made some comments about maybe there being some pressure to speed things up. So it's possible that he would decide early, but I would guess that, you know, he kind of waits. Um, and then the, you know, Honus and, and Petras kind of make their decisions and whether that's Iowa or not, you know, I don't know. Um, if they both choose elsewhere, this kind of second um, recruiting period is going to be a little bit more focused, I would guess, on, you know, say, for example, if they, they add the two receivers and that takes them to 16 in the class, assume they're going to probably take still a linebacker, a quarterback, and maybe one other kind of best available, potentially a safety. Um, you're going to see some new offers kind of go out or, or some uh, kind of trickle of, of information flow about, um, you know, a lot more interest from some names that, that haven't been listed here. Question about the second signing day. Just kind of how do you think that uh, the first one is going to affect the second one? Do you think that there's going to be a lot of players that kind of rush into this first one the first time? Or do you think that, you know, there's still going to be a handful of really, you know, solid players left there that, you know, aren't like five stars just kind of waiting it out? Or instead, you know, like the solid, you know, high three stars, low fours, all that kind of stuff, the kind of guys that Iowa more so gravitates towards. you think there's going to be still a solid amount of those guys left? Or Yeah, I would guess, um, you know, I would guess that, that 
a lot of the kind of solid three-star guys that have a pretty decent offer list but aren't going to be adding offers, those guys are going to sign early. You're going to have some of the guys, you know, I mentioned like Craddyeth is a four-star kid with a, a pretty solid offer list. I think he's a guy that is a candidate to kind of hang around until the second signing period um, because as you see this first cycle go through, the big dogs are going to kind of know more about where they're at. So they might have like three or four spots to fill. And if, you know, they know they need a safety and they don't sit real well with any kind of five-star kids or they don't have any connections with any five-star kids, maybe that offer then goes to a four-star kid like Cradius. Um, and so I think those are the types of kids that are going to hang around. And I could see maybe some of the, you know, the guys that Iowa has historically added late, uh, the Mac type players, you know, maybe those type of kids hold out until February just on the, the hopes that they get a better offer. Uh, obviously, there's always the threat that, you know, they don't have a seat on the bus. But I would think that, you know, uh, if you're talking about like a Mac school and they've got, you know, a group of, of two stars with, you know, two or three three-star kids, you know, maybe that kid is more likely to, to hold out because he is kind of the crown jewel of that recruiting class for, you know, Ohio or Western Michigan or somebody like that. And he's thinking to himself, like, hey, they're going to keep a spot for me. And, you know, what are they going to replace me with? Is it going to be a two-star kid? How do they feel about that? Is it going to be a no-star kid that doesn't have an evaluation? Um you know, so maybe you see some of those guys hold out. I don't, I don't know. Um, it'll be interesting to see. It's the first time we've, we've had it play out and, and it'll be interesting. To yeah. Play it's out. certainly something that I, I think that this is actually more interesting than all of, we were talking before we got on about, you know, how recruiting is interesting in and of itself. But I think that this adds a whole different element to it just because of the fact that we don't know how it's going to play out. We know we've, you know, had this, we've had this for the first time now, you know, it's something that coaches don't know how to prepare for. I know that some recruits have been talking about, or some coach, I've seen on Twitter, some recruits talk about how their coaches wishes, wish that they had, you know, sped their process up a little bit because they didn't really know how to approach it. And I just think that, you know, it's kind of weird that it's a first time thing and it's just kind of playing out for the first time for everybody. And nobody really knows what it will look like, you know, in the end or, you know, how it's really affecting it right now. They have an idea obviously but you know it's it's pretty it's pretty new it's pretty different yeah the the speeding up thing is an interesting point because this is the first year with the early signing period um but this group of of kids that are signing they didn't have the early visits the way that next year's group will have so next year um you'll be able to take official visits as a junior, which isn't something they've been able to do before, right? So you'll have a kid that's in the class of 2019 be able to have, you know, the University of Iowa or whoever their, their school of choice might be pay for a visit, you know, in April or May. And so that's been a big hurdle for getting kids outside of the Midwest for, for a place like Iowa where, you know, if you want to get a kid from Florida to come up for a visit and it's not their senior year, well, they've got to pay for that on their own dime. And that's a totally different ask than to go to a kid from the Chicago area and say, hey, do you want to drive over um, and see our campus this summer? Um, you're asking somebody to shell out several hundred dollars on a flight and then several hundred dollars on a hotel and food and stuff for the weekend where you can't pay for any of that because it's an unofficial visit. Um, you know, So getting one of those kids to come in on an official 
early in the process um, will certainly help, I think, both ends of that. You'll have guys being able to do some of those visits um, because it gets, it gets tough in the middle of the fall when, you know, these recruits have their own games that they have to play in on Friday night and then Saturday, you know, they don't get to spend the same amount of time with the coaching staff because they've got a game, right? So, you know, the kids that came in here in December, they've got basically the full attention of the coaching staff while they're here. Um, I think they're starting uh, bowl prep here later this week. So last weekend, it was basically, you know, one-on-one time with the staff and the other commits. Whereas if, if you're coming in, you know, for the Penn State game, you get to hang out with all the commits, but you're not talking with Coach Ferentz for, you know, any sort of extended period of time because he's got a football game to prepare sure. for. Um, so that'll be interesting to see, you know, this year, these kids didn't, like you said, get a chance to kind of go through that full process as they prepared for this early period. Whereas next year, these 2019 kids should have an opportunity to start doing their due diligence a little bit earlier. And I think you're absolutely right. I think the coaches would like them to kind of, you know, get that sped up a little bit um, so that they're not left in a position, you know, here, you know, the last couple of weeks before the signing period saying, gee, I, I think I know, but I'm just not positive. I want to take another visit. And then to have a college coach say, hey, we want you to be sure. But by the way, you know, if you don't sign on the 20th, we can't guarantee you're going to have a spot because, and you, know, you see both sides of this, right? If you're the coaching staff and the kid isn't willing to commit December 20th, do you want to be waiting around for him to sign come February? Or are you going to start looking around to see if there's another option to fill that spot? You're, you're obviously going to do that, right? You're going to see um, who else is worthy of an offer. You're going to start extending those offers, getting those right. kids in to see campus as well. So, yeah. um, you know, speeding things up from a visit perspective will certainly benefit everyone um, going into this this kind of early period next year. I didn't know about that rule about how they. I didn't even know that juniors weren't allowed to take official visits. I didn't care. Never thought about it. So that's definitely something interesting that we got to look out for. You know, more towards the future. Harrison, did you have anything else to ask about recruiting before we hopped into hoops talk? I I think I'm good. It's uh. It's an interesting industry, and <laughs> I, I, I'm an very impressed with how much. Yeah, I'm, in, I'm very in, impressed with how much Jonah knows. It's it's right on the edge of creepy, but not too much. Uh, I, I don't know. I think that it, it may or may not cross the line. But. It's, it's it's probably a little creepy. I'll, I'll grant you that. Um, my 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 caveat that I always kind of give is. You know, everyone wants to talk about how creepy it is to follow the 18-year-old kid who hasn't chosen a school, and then they're willing to spend three and a half, four hours every Saturday screaming and yelling for that 19-year-old kid, and then all week bitching about how <laughs> terrible the 19-year-old kid played. Um, I'm not sure which one's more creepy, you know, following where they're going to go or complaining about how they did once they get there. Um, I'm not, I don't know how big of a difference it is between 18 and 19, but... Um, I, I probably do, <laughs> that's, do that's pay fair. a little bit more attention on social media and that sort of thing than, uh, than the rest of you guys do. So um, you're welcome for kind of bearing that burden. Hey, you know what? We appreciate it because we both. I think that we're both interested, and I think many people are interested, and they just don't want to admit it. But <laughs> exactly. But you know what? They don't want. They don't have the patience to do that due j- diligence, and you do it for everybody, and we're all very grateful for Somebody's it. Somebody's got to be creepy. That's what but, I'm here for. <laughs> that said, let's get in. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. We appreciate. We appreciate your service. 
<laughs> but, uh, let's get to the hoops talk. Iowa, they're on a one-game winning streak, and that will still be true about time that we, you guys hear this podcast because they don't play a game at all this week. We're in dead week, finals week at the university, and, uh, you know, they've won a game. That's something because they had lost, what, was it four consecutive? Uh, or was it? Yeah. Four, four out of five, uh, five out of six. Five out of six and four out of five and four straight. I think that's what it was. Yeah, I think that that's correct. Um, so before we, you know, really get into this and, you know, start talking about specifics, what are your general feelings on this basketball season right now? Because I'm not optimistic about this season, but I'm not pessimistic about the future. That's exactly where I stand. Um the more kind of watching and kind of not necessarily deep dives, but just kind of a reflection on um, where Fran has brought this program from and where it currently is and kind of the, the trajectory that we've seen from him before. Cause I think, I think that's kind of important um, because to me, I thought that uh, 2017 was kind of going to mirror if we go back, I thought it was going to mirror maybe a little more of 2012 um, where Iowa uh, was able to, um, I guess even in 2012, they, they uh, lost in, in the NIT in 2013. But I, overall, I think kind of that first three-year ramp-up period between 2011, 2012, and 2013, that's kind of mirroring what is happening now between 2017 and 2018. Hopefully 2019 is more like 2014 or 2015 instead of 2013, if that makes sense. Sure. Because like, like going, going back, um, 2011, um, it was per Ken Palm. It was really ugly. Iowa was uh, like adjusted efficiency of about, um, plus 0.7, uh, each of 2011 and 2012. Say it for the uh, people who aren't smart enough like me to understand what that means, please. Uh, it means that against the average team in 100 possessions, they would be seven points better than their opponent. Uh, thank you. So um, as we kind of go through from 2013 to 2016, 2013, of course, they're really good. Uh, they were plus uh, 18. Uh, and they kind of stabilized in that range, 18 to 22 for uh, 13, 14, 15, and 16. And last year, they were uh, about, they're plus 11. Um, and right now, they're plus 7.7. Um, and overall, I guess kind of bringing it back, this to me is really kind of looking a lot like 2011 and 2012 um, in the sense that they're just, they're so young. Like I, I, we kind of all had it in our mind that um, perhaps they were uh, ahead of schedule, but in reality, like they they are just super, super young. I, 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 I'm kind of shocked by that myself, even though we've seen a lot of these guys play a year. Um, but also some of this, I was going through the Iowa state game and the minutes continuity, it's pretty high in terms of the carryover from last year to this year um, per Ken Palm. But there was one possession uh, against Iowa State where it was like Ellingson was running point and Moss, like they just completely flubbed a pass. Like Moss wasn't even looking or 
and Alianson just completely threw it away. So I went back to the stats that I was keeping from last year. She like so the minutes continuity is pretty high, but is there anything like that we know for sure? Alianson and Moss played six and a half minutes together um, last year. So like there there's still some chemistry that they still have to develop yeah. and it's not like we have a bunch of four and five star kids um that you know have just raw talent that can blow their opponent out of the water um so that's that's kind of where i'm at so i think 2017 or 2018 19 is going to be kind of the real judge of uh fran mccaffrey and kind of what he's built because i think the talent base there is going to be as high as it's ever been, literally losing only Dom Yule. Um, and it's not even like he's doing much this year. And they'll add Joe Weiskamp. Weiskamp, I don't know what it is. Uh, but I just know that he's going to be um, as highly rated a recruit as I will ever have. Um, I, I think Jonah's made this, not prediction before, but kind of the comparison that he's Jock if Jock never got injured. Um, and I think that's kind of fair just because the kid is super athletic. Um, the, the highlights of him are just like, he's dunking all over the place, which I never really expected to see. Um, so I think kind of, I, I hate being like next year, but I think overall, um, my, my, uh, my mindset is not as optimistic for this year because I was super optimistic. Yeah. Um, but we all were very optimistic for the future. Yeah, exactly. Because we looked at, you know, all the people they were bringing back, but it's different bringing back sophomores uh, versus bringing back juniors or seniors. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Jonah, how are you kind of feeling about where we're at with this season? Yeah, I'm kind of in a similar place. You know, I, I wrote a little bit about this on, on Monday, but, you know, it's it's frustrating. We see some things that we've seen over and over and over again um, under, under Fran McCaffrey that just always kind of seem to rear their ugly heads. Um, and it's frustrating to see that, knowing the expectations that, that we all kind of had. Um, and I can't remember who said this today, if it, if it was you, Boiler, or if it was... Stoops or who it was, but somebody made the point that it was, you know, within the Iowa bubble, we all kind of had high expectations and no one in the national media yeah. really had those expectations. And it was one of those years where I think, you know, we all kind of had this thought of, aha, we're going to catch them off guard. Um, and you watch, this is going to be a top four team in the Big Ten. And, you know, we see really short glimpses of, of what could have been or what could be still. Um, but the damage is done. And so, you know, the, the margin for error to make the NCAA tournament is basically none. They need to run the table here in the non-conference and they need to win, uh, probably 10 or 11 games in the big 10 schedule. And then probably minimum and then win a couple in the big 10 tournament. And that just doesn't seem feasible given what we've seen to date. And that's, you know, there's no other way to put it. That's a disappointment. Um, when most of us, I think, expected this team to be, you know, either on the bubble or, or firmly in the tournament. Um, and we're just, we're, we're not looking like a bubble team even this year. And so, yeah, that's obviously a disappointment, but as you said, we're incredibly young 
it's only getting better next year. Uh, you know, Dom Yule is leaving and he's getting basically no minutes at all right now. And so you look at what's coming back next year, there's obviously the, the possibility for transfer at any, any given year here. Um, but they're bringing basically everyone back, adding a top 30 kid in the country in, in Joe Wieskamp, and then you're adding another shooter in C.J. Frederick, um, who I think, you know, in any other year would be a pretty um, pretty well-regarded recruit. Um, he's not, not going to blow anybody's socks off, but he's also just kind of a really solid kid. Um, and he's completely forgotten in this class because he was willing to walk on for, for some stretch of time there. Um, and so I think, I think expectations for next year are, are going to be high again. And, you know, maybe we set ourselves up for more disappointment because, you know, this big class is still only going to be juniors. Um, and again, you know, we look into the, the future in the 2019, 2020, and, and again, you're adding, you know, uh, Patrick McCaffrey, and then you've got a couple other scholarship spots available that, uh, you know, the hope obviously for a guy like DJ Carton, um, at point guard and, and, you know, they've got some really big names that they've gone after on the recruiting trail and that's great. The problem is still for this year and even into next year, we're just, we're short on ball handlers. And so that's a concern. I think, you know, having Connor McCaffrey, uh, at the point was kind of nice to see the other night. Um, I was pretty impressed with him. He's not a guy that's going to break anybody down off the dribble. Um, yeah. you know, he's not, I know everybody's been kind of calling for that water bug point guard. And we all think that Fran wants it and he's gone after a number of them and, and missed basically every year. Um, and, you know, we won't get into all the specifics on why that is. I, I think, you know, if you, if you follow recruiting closely, you can give him a little bit of a pass on missing on most of those kids. I think there's some extenuating circumstances around that. Um, but we're, we're again in this spot where we just, we don't have that and everybody covets that. Um, and Connor's not going to do that, but he can certainly be the straw that, that stirs the drink. And we saw the ball kind of go into his hands and out of his hands pretty quickly. He found some uh, guys in spots that we haven't really seen Jordan Bohannon find in. And I think most importantly is if he's able to really run the point alongside Jordan Bohannon, that really opens up him to kind of fill that role that Peter Jock had filled previously, where he's able to come off of screens and get clean open looks which I think has been part of the reason he struggled this year is, you know, if you're bringing the ball up the court, there, there's no reason for a defense to focus on anybody else on the perimeter except for you. And they know you're not a threat to penetrate and get past them. You know, they're going to play lockdown defense and try to shut you down shooting from three. And so if you can run him off of a couple of screens, uh, have a guy like Connor find him as he comes open, that opens up the offense a lot more than, than, you know, what we've seen so far with him running point, trying to enter it into the post uh, teams have made it pretty difficult to do that as well. So um, I do have some hope that they'll finish this year out uh, better than they've started it. You know, obviously, as, as these young guys get some experience, but um, I don't see any way that they live up to the expectations we had going into the year. And I don't think there's really any way that they could finish right now outside of maybe winning the Big Ten tournament um, that would leave me feeling any way other than disappointed. Both of you guys kind of touched on it, um, the idea of expectations obviously changing because they were so high going into the season, and now they aren't so high because, you know, they've, they lost five of six. They don't look very good. They don't have a true ball handler this season, and they might not even next year. But 
So talking about kind of reassessing where the expectations lie, what do you guys think, you know, like, what do you think is a reasonable expectation for Iowa basketball 2017, 2018 moving forward? I, I think personally, uh, my, my expectations are a lot more stylistic than maybe result-based. Um, sure. Like I was going through uh, Ken Palm again, and turnover percentage is kind of a big thing. Basically, you turn the ball over X possessions out of 100. Um, right now, Iowa's at 19.5%. So they're turning the ball over basically one out of every five times they get it. Um, it's not great. It's and <laughs> in the past... That's really bad. That's terrible. Yeah, yeah, it's horrible. You said 19%, um, and I was like, oh, that's not that's not very good. Then you said one out of five, and you like, you know, when you framed it that way, I was like, that's that's pitiful. It really is, um, because it's, it's hard to put together runs um, that way. It's hard to... You know, uh, if, if you're give, taking away a shot, um, then then you know, take have it, turning the ball over is preventing you from scoring. I mean, it's that simple, and it makes it easier for the opponent to score. And this is so this is the highest number that it's been since uh, 2013, uh, when it was 18. Well, I guess it was 18.6 last year in 2013, and 2011, Fran's first year, it was 21.5 percent. So, but it. In that interim time, they've kind of been between about 14.8% and 17. I would like to see it get back to at least last year's number, if not a little better, um, playing some cupcakes here, although Drake isn't necessarily a cupcake. Um, might help, uh, but we'll see. Um, it, it's interesting, though, kind of looking in the past, because they've played um, between last year and this year. Uh, this is a different number. It's more than 17 turnovers a game. They've played 15 in the last two years, which is 35% of those games in all of Fran's tenure. Um, versus, versus the 43 total games are only 18%. So basically what it's accounting for is they're turning the ball over at a higher rate about twice as much as they uh, they kind of used to. If, if I'm explain that so, correctly it's just it's just not pretty um <laughs> it, it has been fun to watch either advanced stats or not you know even so, that, so one thing on been, that is it's been extremely you know, frustrating to watch that can go one of two ways right that could be who this team is and it's just incredibly frustrating to watch the rest of the way um and that's certainly plausible given the ball handler issue that we've already touched on the counterpoint to that is you know if they were to kind of revert to the mean, you know, how many more points a game are we talking um, versus what we've been doing now? And what does that do um, in terms of potential outcomes? And, you know, the obvious caveat there is they've been doing what they've been doing against the competition we've played so far. And we're about to get into, you know, the heart of the big 10 schedule here in a couple of weeks. And so, you know, is it, is it plausible that they even would revert to the mean? Um, I don't know. It's it's not a pretty picture. No, I, and I think that that's a, a fair point you raise. Um, kind of hand in glove with that. I think, uh, again, I was kind of just going back through all of the guards that Fran has had. Um, and really, you look at this year, taking out McCaffrey um, because he's only played one game with Bohannon, Ellingson, Moss, and Daly basically being the four guards that I was used. I'm 
Bear isn't a guard. Like he just really no, isn't. He's not. Um, he's definitely not. A, he's definitely not a guard. And really, you kind of go back through the years. There were a couple where, um, with Gazelle Clemens kind of manning the point, they they were quote unquote true point guards. Um, with with Jock and Oglesby and then Williams, like that there there were four ball handlers there, four guards, but they're stylistically again different than the guards that Iowa currently has on the roster. So you have to go back to like 2011 when it was Bryce Cartwright, my dude Compton, uh, Marvel, Matt Gatons, and Eric May, who played a lot of shooting guard that Yeesh. year. Um, those are those were the Eric four. May also not so a guard. Yeah, exactly. So, like, very much of what Iowa's kind of faced with now, and even Daly. Like, Daly isn't playing a whole lot of guard, um, especially with the smaller lineups they've thrown out. So, overall, like, this motion offense that Fran likes to run, you need to have, I would say, three guards on the floor for it to kind of hum like you want it to. And there just hasn't been enough kind of guard skill sets from Bear, Wagner. I think Nunji might be the guy who, um, even though he's 6'11", maybe Cook uh, showing some off-the-bounce stuff, but there's just not enough dribbling prowess to really run the offense like you want it to because it should be kind of four out, one in, um, with at least three of those four out that are able to kind of do whatever they want. I think that's a, a fair criticism of Fran in terms of roster and construction, right? Like I'm, when he came to Iowa, I remember sitting and you know live for his opening press conference in Carver, um, listening to him talk about the style of play he wanted to play, and you know all the talk about wanting to have basically interchangeable parts, and you know we kind of started down that path where you know I thought we were going to look a lot like you know, a team like Villanova or somebody like that, where you've got basically, you know, four guys that are kind of, you know, six, two to six, seven, that can all handle the ball. that can all shoot a little bit. And then kind of one quote unquote big, who's like six, eight, six, nine, but everybody runs the floor. Um, and instead we've kind of veered off of that path. And you look at this year's roster and it's incredibly big uh, for a coach that says he wants to kind of run a motion offense that wants to get up and down, Um, and and we just, it makes it really tough, as you said, to kind of play the game that he wants to play. So I think it's, it's a a really fair criticism, you know, to kind of talk about the roster construction, but then I look at, you know, what he's done in terms of the recruiting. And I think, you know, maybe he would have liked to bring in another guard in this class, but I mean, are you going to tell him not to recruit Jack Nungy? Are you going to tell him not to recruit Luka Garza? Like, those guys are, are really good players, and I think, you know, over the next three, four years are going to be really integral pieces to this team. Um, but as far as how everything fits together right now, it leaves a, a pretty gaping hole at the guard spot. And I also think we, we can't undersell kind of the impact of the timing of Williams' decision. Like, if, if he comes out right at Absolutely. the end of last year – they can be like, okay, let's go ahead and find a grad transfer point guard. They're they're always on the market, and like even if it's someone who played at like, I, maybe even like a Spike Albrecht, like you know a super bench warmer from from Michigan. He ended up going and playing at Purdue and being kind of that guy. Um, 
it, it just the, the timing of it didn't necessarily help. And it's been kind of the, the year from hell in terms of Connor McCaffrey with the ankle injury and then now mono. And it sounds like from Fran's press conference, this is kind of weird, but they're still open to the opportunity of him potentially redshirting, um, which was really weird to see. Um, but it would be similar to kind of what happened with Ellingson his freshman year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Bear being out, I think that was kind of a big thing. He's he's really kind of the the emotional, um, you know, leader of this team. And he never really uh, – it, it's been a while for him to kind of get into it. Um, he's still under 30% from three. Um, that five of 18 where in the past he's been like 40% on the nose um, each of his first two years. So I think it's just kind of, there's been a lot of weird things that have happened, including like P- Pemzel getting injured and in a way that like you, like how many people dive into the stands and how many of them come out injured? It's very like, it, it's a lot less than you would expect, but he can just casually see his tibia after flying into uh the baseline chairs at at a uh, Hilton Magic, so it's just been a weird year. I, I think that also needs to be be accounted for. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, you know, going back kind of to the roster, you know, being made up of there, it's made up entirely of guys who are about six seven to six nine. You know, like we they needed Luca Garza in that this past class because they didn't have an actual center. Last year's big gripe with the team was that they didn't have anybody down low. This year's big gripe with the team, they don't have anybody in uh, the backcourt. You know, it's it's just a very odd way to construct the roster. But yeah, you know, that's been a weird season as well, just because everybody's kind of banged up a little bit. But mostly, with the exception of McCaffrey and his mono, not enough to really miss significant time. I guess bear with the finger as well. Um, but, you know, nobody's really missed significant time. It's just been, you know, a bunch of little nagging things are now Pemzel with a weird, you know, uh, gash in his leg. It's been an odd season. It probably figures to continue to be an odd season. I think that we could all agree that they're not going to make the NCAA tournament barring uh, some sort of magical Big Ten champion or Big Ten tournament run. Uh, It's... I mean, it's likely going to be an NIT, you know, second round exit again at best. That's kind of where I'm at with the season right now. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think the, the Big Ten tournament run is is possible. Um, I don't see any way that they actually, you know, pull off the unthinkable and win it. But with the youth of this team, you would, you would hope that they build towards the end of the year. And, and, you know, maybe this is the year they finally win a Big Ten tournament game. You know, they kind of similar to the football team. I think given the way the season has started, they're going to be in a position where, you know, we're certainly not looking at a double buy or anything like that come Big Ten tournament time. And so maybe they get a a favorable matchup against a team like a Rutgers in the first round and they're able to actually win a game in the Big Ten tournament and get something rolling late. Um, and, And, you know, if nothing else, I think this year should be used to kind of build some chemistry, find out what you have, and, you know, hopefully progress until, you know, through next year. So that's that's one reason I think, you know, this talk of McCaffrey potentially redshirting, 
you know, I, I really hope that doesn't come to fruition because, you know, if we're talking about next year being kind of that litmus test, it'd be really great if he could get some quality minutes down the stretch here, um, running the point, mixing things up with some of the guys that are going to still be around next year. Um, and just, just kind of for everybody's information, you know, that the rule, I know we had talked a little bit about this. It's kind of strange. Um, but essentially what it comes down to is he can play in 10 games, but they all have to be in the first half of the year. So, you know, we're basically a third of the way through right now. Um, I think there's 31 regular season games. Um, so he's got like five more games he could basically play in, which gets him through, you know, the end of the non-conference schedule and a couple games in the big 10. Um, and he could still potentially take a red shirt then it sounds like they're going to leave that up to the doctors and, and, you know, he's obviously recovering from mono is not easy. He's, he's gassed. It sounds like it's not been practicing. Um, so who knows how many games he'll be able to play in, but I would hope that, you know, he's able to stick it out and they decide to go ahead and, and play him a little bit this year, just to build some of that chemistry for next year. Um, you know, even if he is eligible for a red shirt. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess kind of looking more ahead against Drake. What would you guys have any expectations in the High V Classic at Wells Fargo Arena? Well, I don't, I don't know if you guys watched this game, but I watched the Minnesota Drake game in uh, in Minneapolis, and Drake played very, very well. They looked pretty dang good, and Minnesota didn't play a great game. They didn't play a bad game though. So, I mean, I think that Drake's going to give the Hawks a run for their money uh, this upcoming Sunday or Saturday, Saturday um, in Des Moines. I think that it's going to be a close game, and I think Iowa's going to win, but I wouldn't really be surprised if Drake came out with a victory in that one. Yeah, it's it's definitely concerning. I know there was a lot of talk at the beginning of the year about you know, Drake being one of those teams that's going to kill Iowa's RPI. Obviously, the RPI doesn't mean anything now. Um, yeah. But Drake is looking much better, I think, than a lot of folks anticipated at the beginning of the year. So um, they look like a tough out for sure. And if they play anything like they did down in the Cayman Islands, um, it could be looking at loss number seven. So I don't know. I, I hate that we're at this point in the basketball season, and I just I'm not looking forward to watching. Um, basketball under Fran McCaffrey has always been fun and enjoyable. Um, it's it's frustrating at times this year. So hopefully they can uh, kind of get things together. You know, it'd be great if, if Connor can get some minutes. It'd be great if uh, Pemzil is able to go this weekend. Um, and, you know, they can kind of get, get things moving in the right direction, close out this non-conference schedule uh, with a few wins here. Yeah, uh, just looking at Drake's roster, it's pretty remarkable. They have three guys who are uh, 6'8 and above uh, who never play together, it looks like, according to Ken Palm, and like seven or eight guys who are 6'3 or smaller that play four at a time. So this is, yeah, this is the exact type of thing that's really kind of killed Iowa in the past um super yeah. small fast guards I, I look for Iowa to try and post 
obviously because like that that should be easy for um iowa to be able to you know post cordell pems well not pemsel necessarily but post cook or creener or garza on you know if they can get them on one of the six two or six three guys but it's gonna be uh it's gonna be something that they've struggled with in the past so we'll see how, how much they've been able to improve and um you know i think this this team does not necessarily match up well with um the drake team that that's been faced or you know i was able to really kind of slow it down and pound them inside uh which which is kind of what i thought this season would be uh to to jono's point earlier it's like this roster is constructed in a way outside of Fran's system. Let's see if he can kind of use this game to jumpstart that because there, you can still use motion elements with posting like off ball action. Uh, I saw a lot more of that even against Iowa state, even though they were turning over the ball like crazy. So um, I like to see more off the ball action while posting that way it becomes less easy to double um, and, you know, spring guys for open shots. So I'm like, I don't know. Like this is the exact type of team that I was struggled with. So I, I have a hard yeah. time predicting a win, but I, I think that they should win is really kind of what it comes down to. Yeah. And looking at Drake's schedule, they're five and five, uh, but they've played in almost, they played so 10 games. And I think that seven of the 10 have been decided by eight points or less. Uh, they've, all of their losses have been close, with the exception of one. They lost by five to Colorado. They lost by two to Omaha, but then beat Omaha by 20, uh, like a week later. Uh, they went to double over- overtime to Wyoming and lost. Uh, they lost by one in Minnesota this past weekend. They've played a lot of close games, and they've beaten, you know, they beat Wake Forest. They played, Chicago State played them close, so maybe, you know, that's the exact opposite. You know, they played a lot of decent teams close, but they've also, you know, played Chicago state with its awful athletic department situation. They played them close, but they play in a lot of close games. And, you know, if this one ends up in a dog fight late, I don't think that Drake's going to be phased by it. Against, I think that, you know, that might even the favor close game against Chicago be, state. You know, uh, game maybe my against best hope, given how they looked against Northwestern here the other night. Yeah, I think that's. Yeah, I think they scored eight points and a half. So. <laughs> yeah, the, the like ninety, the ninety something, the thirty oh, loss. Yeah. That was that. I didn't watch it, but. I I feel bad for Chicago State. Their athletics department financial situation is such a terrible thing. But, yes, I mean. Are we going to predict a win here? We, th- I think all three of us said that we thought that I would would win, or did we think that it might go the other way? Because I'm going to say I will win, but I wouldn't be surprised the other way. I think I said that exact phrase earlier, but I'm going to say it's going to be a win. Harrison? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think it's a win. I think uh, one last stat before I end my time on the podcast, but <laughs> where Drake – is bad defensively as they do not turn teams over. So maybe this offers Iowa an opportunity hey. or I just jinxed it. So <laughs> one way or the other, <laughs> either way, I, I think uh, way. Iowa wins a close one. Yeah, I am with you. I think, I think they Harris, win it. Or not Harrison, uh, JP. 
I'm nervous, but I think they I think they pull it out. Yeah, I think no matter what, it's gonna be a close one. So let's leave it on that. We've this is a long podcast. Last week you guys got a short podcast. This one's gonna be a really long one, over an hour. So thank you for listening to the Pants Party episode. 17 i believe every single week i don't even know what i every single week i try to say which one it is and every single week i think that i go one above it's 16 or 17 this week i think it's 17 whatever who cares it's not that important uh please leave us a rating review you know all that good stuff feel free to roast us and talk about how terrible we sound or how awful and wrong we are about everything but make sure you give us a five-star review if you're rating if you do that uh yeah, so does anybody have us on the last second uh, notes? No, sir. Whatever, who cares? That's our motto, and that's the uh, Iowa Athletics Department right. motto, right? <laughs> I'll write the check is Iowa's Athletic Department motto. <laughs> yeah, that's that's <laughs> definitely not something we should leave that on. <laughs> <laughs> check. Go Hawks. When graduate, do it right. And go, go Hawks.